Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. I think that every one of us need to be those who run the race in a way to obtain that prize. I think that every one of us need to be those that run with great certainty. I think that each one of us need to fight at not just hitting the air, but with actual understanding that no, this, this is literally a fight, a spiritual fight, an eternal fight. A fight for the souls of men and women. In today's message, Pastor David continues teaching about Paul's message to the Corinthians regarding their support for his ministry. Paul emphasized that they needed to support that which matters most in this world. Therefore, they need to uphold the message of the gospel so that many more people will hear God's incredible message. This means we must prop up our fellow believers, especially those providing leadership for the church. You are God's church, and God can use you today. Now here's Pastor David with part three of his message entitled, Muzzled Oxen. Nevertheless, we never use this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Well, what does he mean by hinder the gospel of Christ? I think because he knew the heart of those people in Corinth. You're only here to make a buck. You're only here, you know, as as a money-making scheme rather than really here as a ministry. And he goes on to say, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple. Those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So Paul has taken situations of basic human logic. A soldier doesn't go at his own expense. A planter or a caretaker of a vineyard ought to be able to at least reap some of the benefits. If I'm taking care of the sheep, I ought to be able to enjoy some of the milk. He goes on to the situation even of, of Moses' declaration that the Lord gave him that you're not going to muzzle the ox as it treads, uh, treads out the uh, grain. And now he goes to, again, the the action and the work that's found there in the temple. The priests of the temple and the Levites, guess how they ate, gang? Guess where they got their finances to live? From the offerings and the tithes of the people that brought it to the temple. (gasps) But that's the Lord's money. Yes, and that's how the Lord used a big portion of it 
so that the priests could continue to minister at the temple, so that the Levites could continue to minister at the temple also. Even the animal sacrifices. All you have to do is go back and look in the book of of Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you realize that a great portion of the animal sacrifices that were given on the altar, that the priests partook of those things. They did it correctly in most cases, but we also read the story of Eli and his sons and how they were going in. They were taking the best right off the top and they were ripping the people off. Well, that happened back then also. So he brings out these examples. He see, we see this standard. And again, even though Paul had every right to expect the church of Corinth to cover all of his financial needs while he ministered there, he took a whole different route. Again, after making that strong statement for the financial support of the ministry, he tells the church at Corinth there in verse 15, he says, I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so for me. He's saying, look, I'm writing to you not to put a guilt trip on you, that now you turn around, you send me money. No, that's not what I'm doing either. He says, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. He said, I'd rather die than you guys start sending me money now. And, and again, I can see the frustration in his writing. No, I'm not writing this thing because I'm begging you to send me money. I'm writing it so you'll grow up, so you'll understand, so you'll see the importance. Because Paul's not going to be the one that's there in Corinth. They're going to have other pastors that are ministering and serving there, and they ought to be taking care of them. And Paul says, man, I'd I'd rather die than you guys mess up the fact that, man, I know that I was serving you with an absolute clear heart and a clear understanding. He said, verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of because necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, I'm not preaching the gospel because you pay me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And I got to say the same thing. And I think any, any pastor with, with the right heart would say the same thing. I don't preach and share the gospel because you pay me. I'm allowed to do it in the capacity that I'm doing it because I am paid. But you know what? Just like Paul Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I would rather go and preach at some little church that could not afford to do anything than to feel that I'm a paid hireling and you pay me to preach what you want to hear. And the unfortunate reality is there's a whole lot of pastors around who are simply hirelings. And if they start stepping on toes, then they better start looking at the want ads, churchjobs.com or whatever, uh, to to see where they might be going. Just as many of you have shared with me, uh, especially, man, as we've been going through Corinthians, it seems like, man, it's like being whacked every, every week that we come in here. My toes get stepped on even as I preach it. So my, my toes are sore just like yours are here. You don't pay me to preach it. I'm allowed to preach it. 
I'm allowed to be able to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the message, to teach the word of God in the capacity that I'm doing it because I am supported by the church, but you're not paying me to teach it. And that's what Paul is trying to say there. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He says, verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. If I do it against my will, I've simply been entrusted with a stewardship. But what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I think Paul was one of those guys that was so careful whenever he would come into an area and and people would want to bless him in a financial way. I believe that he had, again, the, that insight of just really caring and saying, no, no uh, I don't want to get into that situation. And I'm not saying that Paul didn't receive financial support along the way, because I do believe that he did in many cases. As a matter of fact, most other cases he did, but Corinth, he didn't. But I believe that he's the kind of guy that if you came up and says, hey, look, man, we really like your preaching. We want to support you in this, and I'm going to write out a check. What can I write that out to? I'm sure he's the kind of guy that says, look, look, you want to bless the ministry, then bless the ministry. I really don't care what you give, how you give it, or what. I don't care. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to do the job. And again, I want to let you know, and I know that some of you have done it in the past, I hate it when you hand me a check and say, I forgot to put this in the offering Sunday. (laughs) Don't do that. You don't know how uncomfortable that makes me feel. Give it next week. We're not going to grow broke between now and next Sunday, okay? And even if you're going on vacation, the Lord's got a handle on this. So you don't need to give me the check. You don't need to let me know. I believe, again, when I, when I look at this, Paul says, man, I've got a reward just in preaching the gospel. I don't need the finances. And whether the Lord ever allowed him to do it outside of build, uh, making the tents I think Paul would have made tents until the day that he died just in order that he could continue preaching and uh, proclaiming the gospel. He says in verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now here he's suddenly kind of changed uh, the direction in what he's saying. And here he starts talking about the depth of his commitment to, to people. He says, I'm, I'm free from all men. You know, nobody has a hold over me making me do something that I don't feel led to do. But I want to let you know what I do. I've made myself a servant to all. I don't owe you anything, but I'm your servant. And I do that in order that I might win the more. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. Paul had been a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Man, he was raised in the greatest of schoolings. You know, Paul knew everything about the Jews. And when it came to ministering to the Jews, he could observe all the understanding and all the, the ritual of Judaism in order that in the process of that, he could open up to them the truth and the hope of grace and the truth and the hope of the truth of the gospel. He says, to those that are under the law, man, I became as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. And 
in, in essence, what he's saying, I, I didn't put myself under the law that, that it would be a burden that I could prove my righteousness to anybody. If you fell a certain ceremonial or custom or ritual things, you know what, I'm not going to come in there and suddenly boast and try and blow you out of the water by my freedoms in Christ. No, I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to humble myself to where you're at so that it might open up a door for the gospel. He says, to those who are without law, as without law. Whoa, now wait a minute, Paul. He says, no, not not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. He says, to those that are without law, as without law, that I might win those who are without law. Well, what in the world does he mean by that? Just as he said, I'm not saying that I became a lawbreaker, It's not that I started hanging around with guys that were dealing drugs, and so I just started dealing drugs with them so I could kind of, you know, get an in with them. I I didn't go down and start uh, partaking with with all the, you know, the, the wickedness and the evilness of the gangs in order to be able to get into the gangs. But when I started ministering to those kinds of people, neither did I set myself up on a pedestal and, and in essence, tell them, you know, if you were as good as I then maybe God could show you or suddenly boast again of his own righteousness. I think Paul, as, as righteous a guy as he was, as intelligent, as learned a guy as he was, you and I just talking to him would never know it. We'd never, we'd never know the depth of his understanding until we were ready to receive it, that we could go and he would just talk to us where we're at and hit us at our level in order that he might win some of us to Christ. He says, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Some have taken this so far out of context. I, I, I swear, I party, I hang out all this way, in order that I might you know, really touch some wild lives for Christ. That's not what Paul is saying here. Okay, uh, Again, he, he's, he speaks, I believe, greatly about the humility of the man. He doesn't come off of, hey, you know, I'm Dr. Reverend, you know, or I guess it would be Reverend Doctor, uh, the Reverend Dr. Saul of Tarsus. You know, I'm here to come and, you know, open up to you the Word of God. I believe that he came out and, hey, hey my name's Paul. And he just, again, was able to communicate with people whatever level that they were. We know that he could go toe-to-toe with the scholars and the philosophers of his age. He did that there on Mars Hill. But when he came to Corinth, he said, you know, when I came to you, I didn't come with any huge words or, or, or boastful speech, man. I just came to you with great humility because that's the kind of guy that Paul was. He could hold his own, I think, in any uh, group at all. But he would also understand, seek to understand the people that he's ministering to and minister to them at the level that they're at rather than try and become something big and boastful. He says, I've done that. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. It's not that I've done wicked. It's not that I've done evil. It's not that I've done lawlessness in order to win those kind of people. No, but I became touchable by all men in order that all men might be able to hear and understand the gospel. And he says, now this, verse 23, now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. He says, I've lived my life that way. I've humbled my life in that way. 
in order too that I might be a partaker of the gospel just like you guys with the same understanding that, man, I need a savior just like you do. There's no difference there. And then he goes on to speak in, in understanding, helping us to understand what he says. He says in verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize. So he tells the church in Corinth, he says, you need to be running in, in such a way that you might obtain that prize. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And they do that to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. The, the winner of games there, they would get a little crown made out of branches and after a short period of time, those branches and the leaves and the wreath of the crown, they'd get all dry and crumbly and, and ugly, and they'd be good for nothing. That's, it was a perishable crown. But he says, you and I, we run in a race where we win an imperishable crown. It's interesting today, you know, in our culture today, you don't have to run in a way to win the race because you'll get a trophy even if you ran. Amen? I mean, that's, that's the way we do with kids nowadays. There's, there's no challenge for them. No, try to be the winner. Yeah, we, we want you to win the race. We want you to put in everything you can. No, you know, you competed, so you get a prize too, and everybody gets a prize. Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. There's a lot of people that run, but only one person is going to win, and that one person is the one that gets the prize. So run in a way that you're going to win the prize. He says, verse 26, therefore I run like this, and not with uncertainty. And this is the way that I fight, not as one that beats the air. But I discipline my body, and I, I bring it into subjection. And here's the scary part. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's the Apostle Paul speaking that. You don't think that that's a wake-up call for any pastor or any minister or any teacher of the word? Even Paul says, no, man, I, I got to keep myself under check. I don't want to be disqualified. Oh, are you saying he loses his salvation? No, I believe that he loses a reward, a great reward there. Again, when you become disqualified, and as I've shared with you guys, even as I've gone through this, this section of Corinthians thus far, I personally know of now five brothers in the Lord, fellow ministers in the Lord, who just over the last few years have, have become disqualified. They've been taken out of ministry. Why? Because they didn't run with certainty, because they were simply just beating the air. They didn't discipline their bodies. They didn't bring themselves into subjection. They, they didn't have discipline within their lives and in whatever freedoms that they felt that they had. It went well beyond the freedoms that we should have and should walk in. And so they became disqualified. Do you think that could happen to you? Shake your head like this. Do you think that could happen to me? Shake your head really hard this way, okay? I think it could happen to any. And in particular, those who are in any kind of ministry or leadership position. Why? Because you strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. That's a biblical principle. It's a truth. But it's also the truth that the enemy looks and he says, those who are at leadership, 
Those that are in areas of, of ministry that other people, unfortunately, many times look up to, and you ought not look up to me. I'm only on a platform so I can see you. We look up to, somebody falls, and, and man, suddenly it's, it knocks the wind out of people's lives. It knocks the, knocks the, the joy and, and the drive out of their lives. We were involved in a church, and I'll close with this, uh, a church, gosh, this had to be back in the early 80s. Yeah, because we were in Kansas City. We were involved in a church there. Don't need to tell you the name of the church, but again, the pastor had a lot of moral failings. Eventually, in his adultery, it's found out it just devastated the church. The weird thing is about people knowing that it was adultery on the pastor's side. The weird thing about the people is some people took his side and said, well, yeah, no wonder, no doubt. Other people took the other side that said, how could he even imagine to do that? And you know what? It split the church. Rather than the church coming together in the midst of that kind of a thing, it, it literally split them. And you know what? It, it split families as the wife would take one side, the husband would take the other. and It's not always the same side that you think that they would take, but the damage that it does. Can you imagine if a guy like the Apostle Paul, with all that God was doing in and through his life, if he would allow himself to become disqualified? He wrote most of our New Testament. He's responsible for the birthing of most of the first century church, either directly or indirectly. Do you think that maybe the enemy had a target on him and was looking for every opportunity that he could? I believe so, very much so. I believe that as he writes this, he's telling the church in Corinth, you know what? Every one of us need to watch out for our lives. Because though a pastor or a ministry leader may have a larger sphere of influence. Each one of us have a sphere of influence. Rather that be our own family, our friends, our co-workers, or whoever it might be. I think that every one of us need to be those who run the race in a way to obtain that prize. I think that every one of us need to be those that run with great certainty. I think that each one of us need to fight and not just hit in the air, but with actual understanding that, no, this, this is literally a fight, a spiritual fight, an eternal fight, a fight for the souls of men and women. And I think that every one of us ought to make sure of the discipline that's within our lives in order that, again, the enemy doesn't have a foothold that could sneak in grab us, and at the very time we don't expect it, pull us under, and again, make us disqualified. Is it sobering saying? Absolutely it is. But beloved, it's a saying that every one of us need to understand and need to be very aware for. And now my second closing is this. Pray for the leadership. Pray for those men that are elders within the body. Pray for our Sunday school teachers. Pray for our pastors. Because again, I believe in these days, it's getting harder 
and harder, and the enemy is turning the heat up a little bit more and a little bit more. Pray for those who are in position of leadership, as well as praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might be able to stand strong and run the race and win the prize and not become disqualified. Amen. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.